0: parable of the sower somewhat. We're going to dig into that a little bit more, but we want to talk about what it's like to walk in faith and what we need to do and what the pattern is that the Lord has given us in order to be able to be successful at what we were called to do. Uh, Last time we talked about what made Jesus successful. Uh, If you go back and look in Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 12, uh, actually verses 9 through 12, you'll find out that, uh, that uh, Jesus was born again. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, he was driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert to deal with the enemy and his, and his schemes. The fourth thing he did was he walked in the power of his calling. Once that he understood what he was called to do, he came out of the desert. He knew what he was called to do. Then, when he left the desert, uh, he began to walk in that power. He began to walk in what he was called to do. Um, You can see that in Luke chapter 4. He was in, he came in, sat down. He told everybody, um, this is me. He read from Isaiah and said, this is me. He knew who his identity was because uh, he got it from the Scriptures. When he read the Scriptures... And he sat down. Everybody said, "Hey, this is yeah, this is cool stuff." And then he started speaking things that they did not want to hear. And when that happened, um, he got in trouble. But because he knew who he was, what he was called to do, and that the job had not been finished, uh, they couldn't lay a hand on him. Uh, then he goes out and he begins to teach, and uh, he runs into uh, some religious folks. Uh, they've got a uh, if you look carefully at Mark chapter 2, he heals a paralytic. Uh, he's at his house in Capernaum. Uh, they bring him uh, people. There's so many people there that these guys can't even get in. So they drop their friend down through the roof. Uh, now this isn't like a huge A-frame. This is a little thatched hook. But they drop this guy down, and Jesus makes this great comment. He says, hey, your sins are forgiven, having seen their faith. When he did that, he made the religious people mad, and then he started. He, he got an issue with them uh, where the man was healed. Uh, he picked up his mat and left, and that made him mad. Then the next thing, you know, he's in trouble again because his disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath, and when they pick grain on the Sabbath, um, that's work. They don't like that either. And when they when they started talking to him, if you look at uh, Mark chapter three. Verse 1, again he entered the synagogue and there was a man, who it's interesting, he enters the synagogue on the Sabbath, it's church. He gets in trouble in church on Sunday or on Saturday. They watched him to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, stand up. And they asked the, 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 the Pharisees and the teachers that were there, is it lawful to do good or evil on the Sabbath to save life or kill? But they kept silent. Now, when he looked around, he looked at them with anger, and I can understand that. I would be, um, I would press in on it, but he didn't do that. He just raised, said, "Stretch out your hand," and the guy's hand was healed. A couple of things, and it says they turned around, they went to the Herodians, and they started making plans about how to kill him. It's interesting that as you follow through here with Jesus, and especially in, the, in the, the environment we're in today, when the Lord gives you an opportunity to do a miracle, it's going to require you to do something that you'd never done before. He asked this man to stretch forth his hand. Now, I don't know what his hand looked like, but it was obviously withered up. So he said, stretch forth your hand. That's something he could not do on his own. But he did it. He took a step, stretched it out, then Jesus got in trouble. This guy was okay. You go through the rest of this, and we get down to chapter four, and we turn into to something that is just rather amazing. As we get into chapter four, um, his family was upset with him. Uh, they thought he had an. Un- they just they thought he was you know off his rocker. Nobody was really on his pace because they'd never seen anything like this except the people, and they. Uh, he was having rallies, you might say. He was having Rallies. He would go, and these thousands of people would show up at his rallies. And um, uh, then the Pharisees and the, um, the teachers of the law, they, they had little small rallies. They kind of stayed in uh, uh, the... They didn't have the following because there was no authority in what they taught. There was authority in what Jesus taught. Now, keeping that in mind, let's go down to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Again he began to teach by the seaside. A large crowd gathered before him so that he entered a boat, and he sat on it on the sea. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. He taught them many things in parables. And he said to them in his teaching, Listen, take a note. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, by the path, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And soon it sprang up because it did not have deep soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Others fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seed fell on the good ground. And it yielded grain that sprang up and increased by 30, 60, or 100 times as much. Now he said this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, when he was done with this, his disciples pulled him off to the side, and he said, uh, "Tell us what you know. What are you talking about? What, what's what's the what's what does this mean?" And he, in in chapter four, verse eleven, he makes this great statement. He said, "To you is given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, everything is said in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, they may hear and not hear and not understand, and that lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. It's interesting to note that there's five things that Satan would use in this, and he's going to go ahead and explain that. I want you to to keep in mind these five things, because it's important as as you begin to walk with the Lord, you begin to learn to hear from him, and you begin to walk in the areas that he's asked you to walk in, uh, and you learn to hear him, you're going to have opposition. If you don't think there's not spiritual warfare going on, just look at our country now. We're, we're in the throes of the deepest spiritual warfare we've ever been in. Uh, so he goes and explains this. Do you not understand this parable? This is in verse 13. How then will you understand all parables? This is the foundation for all parables. The sower sows the word. The object of this parable is the word, and these are they beside the path where the word is sown. When they hear, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word which is sown in their hearts. Now, uh, this this parable is also in Mark or in Luke chapter eight and Matthew chapter uh, thirteen. And when you read read them, you'll find out that the heart is soil. That's what he's talking about in here in soil. So when he talks about something being sown, he's talking about words being sown in your heart. Now, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word. Why does he do that? Well, he has to get the word out because if it takes a chance to grow, it will produce what God said it to do. And he can't afford that. So, others are likewise, uh, have the seed sown on rocky ground who when they hear the word, They immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves. And so endure for a time, and afterwards, when affliction, persecution arises for the Word's sake, immediately they fall away. And others are seeds sown among thorns, the ones who hear the Word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the Word, and and it proves unfruitful, the Word." Still others are seeds sown on good ground. Those who hear the word receive it, bear fruit 30, 60, or 100 times. Now, what's interesting about this, if you go back to verse verse 13, do you not understand this parable? This is the, uh, the basis, the base parable. If you don't understand this one, you're not going to understand any of them. And so there's four types of soil here. We've got stuff on beside the, the pathway. You've got rocky ground, you've got thorny ground, and then you've got good ground. And it's interesting that in this whole sermon, what Jesus is telling you is that only 25% of the people that hear this are going to get it. So that means three out of every four people that hear this, the enemy steals what's given to them. But one guy, one person, one woman, makes a good And 25%, so just keep that in mind. You want to know why the church is as ineffective and as feckless as it is today? Only 25% are getting what God actually says. Now, he goes on, and as he talks about this, remember, affliction, persecution, the deceitfulness of riches, not riches, but the deceitfulness of riches, cares, anxiety, and worry, and desire for other things, or pressure. Those are the five things Satan has. And if we had time, you could go back to Genesis and start in Genesis chapter 1 and go all the way to the end of the uh, book of Concordance uh, or Revelation, whichever one's the last one in your Bible. This is a true fact all the way through the Scriptures. When the sower sows the word, Satan comes immediately to steal the word which has been sown. Now, within that framework, I want to say there's, that there's six things here I want to talk to you about. First of all, how do you receive and hear God? How do you hear God's word, receive it, and act on it will determine your level of harvest. How you receive God's word and how you act on it will determine your level of harvest. One of my favorite stories was Brother Andrew uh, wrote uh, uh, God's Smuggler back in the '60s telling a story that he knew that God had asked him, uh, that, that, that the Lord had indicated him he needed to get Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. So he, he just acts on it. And he's got an old Volkswagen. And if you remember an old Volkswagen, there's, there's not a lot of room in it. He packs it with Bibles. He packs it with and the, the fronts Bibles. There's Bibles everywhere. And he gets in line to go through a checkpoint. I believe it was in Czechoslovakia. But as he got, starts to go through this checkpoint... The car in front of him, the the guards stop the car. It takes an hour and a half for him to go through it. They look with mirrors under the car. Uh, They check their luggage and everything for contraband. And if they find contraband, they will arrest them. Well, he's sitting here with a whole car full of contraband. And he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, you made blind eyes see in the Bible. I'm asking you to make seeing eyes blind now so that I can get these things through. And when it came his and he didn't even hide him, he just left him out and think. When it came his time, the guards looked in, checked around, let him go in five minutes, and he, he not an issue. That is the kind of faith that we're talking about that is successful. Now, his level of harvest was great. Follow him along, I could tell you story after story after story about things that God did for him because he had enough courage to just step out and go do it. Now Number two, the results that you have will be measured by the attention you give to what you hear. The results you have will be measured by the attention that you give to what you hear. Example, Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It doesn't say it comes by praying for it. It doesn't say it comes by begging for it. It says it comes by hearing the Word. So, the attention that you give to the word you receive will be a uh, guideline, but how effective your faith will be. Now, one thing you do not want to do is just get up in the morning and get a little, a little devotional thing, have a cup of coffee, read a little devotional, read one little prayer, one little scripture, and say, I've had my devotions for the day. That's not going to get it. Uh, this is solid food, and you need to spend time in here. Uh, Matthew 4.4 4 says that uh, people will uh, my, uh, live by every word that comes out of my Father's mouth, not by food alone. So the level of attention that you give to what you hear will determine your success. And number three, it is not the amount of word you receive, but the rhema that comes with it. The rhema being the revelation. Um, sad to say, when I was a a young man and I had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I had a a little Bible and I had all these footnotes and I went to school and I was told, God, well, we don't do this anymore, we don't do that. They came across a scripture in Corinthians that said, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Now, I know what that means. It means uh, we've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But, I didn't have. I wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. But when I read that, I had a footnote out to the side of my Bible that said we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. I had a footnote out to the side that said it was the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now that's the that's the level of ignorance that you will come up with if you try to do this on your own. You need rhema. You need God to reveal to you what this word means. And um, uh, I would dare say to you that if you read, uh, I'm not a I'm not a big person on uh, memorizing Scripture. I never have been. Well, I know the Scriptures, but I don't memorize them. Uh, the only Scripture I ever memorized was John 11:35. Jesus wept. Now, you could spend a thousand years on that Scripture and get the rhema from it and never get done with it. It's just two words, Jesus wept. But without rhema, you'll just skip by it. But if you ask the Lord, well, what does this mean? Be prepared for a, a, a an exciting adventure about the revelation of God. Now, number four. Always read with the understanding it is God that is speaking to you and that you're reading it with the intent of doing what He tells you to do. Now, um, it doesn't do you any good to read this and just check off a box. Well, I read that for the day. I've read this for today. This is God speaking to you. Ask Him what is it that you're speaking to me about. When I read the parable of the sower and I started looking at this, uh, I started asking the Lord, well, speak to me about it. Speak to me. And then all of a sudden I began to see that as I began to take steps towards what I felt God wanted me to do, opposition was coming in that was amazing. In 1988... My wife and I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we sensed that the Lord wanted us to move to Athens, Georgia, which is where I'm from, and, uh, which is where I live now. And uh, 32 years ago, we moved here from Athens based on what we... And we both believed it. We knew that God did it. And 1989 was the worst single year of my life. I can't. I, it was the horrible. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And it was just miserable. And um, there was more than one time I thought, well, I just wanted to go back to, to Egypt where there was leeks and onions. And that would have been Tulsa. But, um, uh, but the Lord, I could go back I could tell you hours, telling you what God did in miracle after miracle to keep us here, and after attack after attack after attack by the enemy. But I will tell you this, when the smoke cleared and the dust settled at the end of 1989, we were standing on our feet in a way that there was no way without God we could have been doing it. I can't explain to you, we never missed a bill, We never I, nothing. I can't begin to explain to you what he did. So, um, you need the rhema, but you need the understanding that when God speaks to you and you act on it, you're going to have opposition. That's what this is all about. Now, the fifth thing. You can't expect to grow strong in faith if you're listening to doubt, unbelief, and fear most of the time. So, if you have uh, something that you're, well, I'll just use an example here. Uh, let's just assume that uh, Grandma is sick, and she's bad sick, and the doctors don't give her very long to live. Okay? Now, and you want to pray for Grandma. Now, you've got two choices, you can go to the Word and find out what does God say about healing. I want to pray for Him about healing. What what does God say about healing? Or you can just say a couple of prayers for her and then, um, and then go watch General Hospital or, or you know go to soccer practice or whatever else comes up. And you'll find out that, that you get the results based on where you put the attention of your efforts. So if you spend time studying the Word, and, and it, Grandma needs to be healed. Okay, Lord, what did you say about this? And um, you go back and you find out that the people that were successful in the Bible um, that, that prayed, they took God at His Word and, said, and and they said, Look, here's what you said in your Word right here. Uh, and I'm, I'm trusting you to do this. So, you can't expect to grow strong in faith if you don't spend time in the Word and if you don't give the Lord the opportunity to talk to you. Now, the last thing is, if we go to, to Mark chapter 4, verse 30 and 32, you'll see, and this is important that you, that that this is stated the way it is, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground, is the smallest seed on the earth. And yet when sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all shrubs and shoots out great branches so that the birds of the air may nest in its shade. Now, he doesn't say, because you hear people say this, uh, faith is, is uh, a seed. Faith is like a mustard seed. It doesn't say that. It says uh, it's like um, it's like a grain of seed. You plant it. Your faith, if we uh, we go back to Grandma, Grandma's sick, and you need to, Lord, I'm going to plant a seed of healing. Here's what you said. Jesus died on the cross for our physical healing, and I believe what you said, and you said in in John chapter 14, that um, uh, if we pray, uh, we'll be able to do the same things you did, and we can have the same results that you did. So I'm going to believe, so you begin to pray like that, and know that when you do that, the enemy is going to attack you with both feet. That's what he does. He's going to use one of those five things, affliction, persecution, the deceitfulness of riches, uh, uh, cares, anxiety, and worry, and uh, lust, which is basically pressure on your five physical senses. Lust could come up in, in any way. I need a new bass boat. I need a new car. Um, I want to date Susie. Uh, whatever that might be. It's some kind of a pressure on your five physical senses. So faith is like a seed, and that's what he's been talking about in this whole parable. Now, the interesting thing about Mark chapter 4 is in, starts in verse 35. Now remember, Jesus has been teaching them this all day long. And he says to them, that same day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. And when they had sent away the crowd, they took him in the boat, just as he was, And there were also other little boats with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves splashed into the boat so that it was now filling the boat. He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. They woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? He rose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? They feared greatly and said to one another, What kind of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, what's really interesting is this, this, this story, this part of the story in Mark 4, happened after he told them that when you sow the word, Satan comes immediately to steal the word which has been sown. And if you look carefully at verse 35, the same day when the evening came, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Now, he didn't say, let's cross over to the other side and we'll sink halfway across because there's a hurricane coming. And if you read this in the, in the Amplified Bible, it'll tell you that it was a storm of hurricane proportions. Now, these guys are fishermen. They've been out on that lake their whole lives. They understand storms and stuff. And this must have been a doozy because they were scared. Okay, now, here's the thing, at some point, you have to make a decision, I'm going to stick with, let's cross over to the other side, rather than, we're going down in a storm. It's interesting that that they asked him, don't you care, which is one of the exact same things he said the enemy would use to attack him with. Anxiety, worries, cares, that's one of the thorns. So he says, don't you care that we're, that, we're, that we're getting ready to sink? Now, the interesting part of that is that he'd been asleep. And um, we don't know this, but who do you think the guy was that stood up and started screaming, don't you care if we're perishing? I, I would imagine it's Peter. That's who I think it was anyway. And um, Jesus got up. Rebuked the wind and said, They don't have any faith. You don't have any faith. Why don't you have any faith? Now, <clears throat> keep in mind, and just as a as kind of a sideline to the thing, if you follow Peter over to Acts chapter 12, if you follow Peter over to Acts chapter 12, in verse 6, you'll see that, that Herod is getting ready to um, execute him. He's been in jail all night long, and um, the church is praying for him, and God sends them an angel to get him out of there. Now, he has uh, 16 special forces, Herod's special forces soldiers around him to prepare for him, make sure he stays there. In the middle of that, Peter, the angel, comes and kicks him, and he is so sound asleep that the angel has to kick him on the side to wake him up. So, what happened between Mark chapter 4 and Acts chapter 12 for Peter? Uh, He was asleep under the great pressure. Now, that's something that we need to do today, is to stay that focused on faith and what Jesus has asked us to do, that we can sleep when under the greatest pressure. Now, at that point, we go into chapter 5. When you get into chapter 5, we begin to see this pattern that Jesus was talking about uh, in operation. First of all, I think one of the reasons that there was such dramatic uh, and such violent uh, opposition to Jesus getting across to the other side, because he knew he was going to minister to the madman of Gadara. That's what, that's what, what he's called here in, in uh, Mark 5. The guy that lives in the tombs. Uh, he's cutting himself. He's screaming. He's got all kinds of issues. They can't chain him. They can't shackle him. Um, you know, so this is not a good situation. He's so demon-possessed. But it says, When Jesus saw him from afar off, he ran up and kneeled before him and cried with a loud voice. Now, it's interesting. The numbers tell us, he says, Who are you? My name is Legion. It's probably, let's just say for round numbers, he had 6,000 demons in him. It's interesting that 6,000 demons and the most demon-possessed man we see in the New Testament could not stop this guy from coming to Jesus. So, he comes to Jesus. He gets saved. And he wants to travel with Jesus. Jesus won't let him go. Because he says, you stay and go back and tell the people that that you're with uh, what the Lord has done for you. Now, in the process of doing that, you can look later on, if you look at a map of the Decapolis, you'll find out that he had quite a ministry. He brought people from all over the Decapolis. They got saved because of his ministry. Now, another thing that happens here in chapter 5, in the first part of chapter 5, um, all the demons pleaded with him, send us into this swine. He cast these demons out and he says, they said, send us into the swine. So there's a herd of pigs over here. And at once, Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits came out and entered into the swine. The herd, numbering 2,000, ran wildly down a steep hill and into the sea and committed sausage side. They were gone. Now, when that happened, the people around there saw that, and they were concerned about it. And so, they, verse 17 is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. They began to plead with him to depart out of their region, and he did. He just turned around and got in the boat and left. So, he was responding to the people. This is what's critical that the church is missing today. This isn't something that was predetermined and everything. He could have stayed there and told all of these people and gotten them all saved. But they didn't want that. So, he did exactly what they asked him to do. He left the region. Now, um, when he leaves... He runs into two situations that I think are critical for today. One, he ran into the the leader of the synagogue. He's back into the synagogue again, that area. And the ruler of the synagogue named Jairus saw Jesus and came and fell at his feet. My little daughter is lying at the point of death. I ask you to come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and she will live. Jesus went with him. It's the same thing that happened up here. Jesus is responding to what the people said and is going in the direction that they asked Him to go in. It said many people followed Him and pressed in on Him. Now, an interesting part of this story is this woman that has a an issue of blood. She shows up, and as she shows up, she starts getting ministered to because of, of her uh, hemorrhaging situation. Jesus ministers to her, and, and He says... Um, Daughter, down in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She spoke and said, remember we go back to take care of what you listen to. We go back here where it says, uh, she spoke and said, if I just lay my hands on him, if I can just touch him, I'll be made well. And that's exactly what happened. Now, while that's going on, this is the part where most people miss it. Jesus comes up and he's dealing with the problem and while they're doing that, Satan sends the death messenger. I can't imagine, I don't have kids, but I can't imagine having a little girl and having her be sick and have somebody come and tell me this. He said, Teacher, your daughter is dead. Or said uh, They came up to the synagogue ruler and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, at that point, Jairus has a decision to make. What was his response to this situation? Well, he never said another word. The only words that we ever have recorded from him are my little daughter's lying at the point of death. I ask you, come lay your hands on her so that she may be healed. Uh, Jairus just keeps his voice, just keeps quiet. He stands on what it was that he said that was going to happen. And Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. Now, the Amplified tells me when he says that, Jesus turns to him and says, Don't be seized with alarm or struck with fear. Just believe. And so, Jairus keeps his mouth shut. And Jesus goes in, and in verse 37, uh, and I suggest that, that people that are concerned about the election and concerned about all the about Grandma's sick and everything that's going on, that you remember this. Jesus said, in verse 37, He let no one follow Him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James. And you'll find out if you when you read this over in Matthew that He also had the girl's parents come in. So the only people that He allowed to come in were those who were believing with Him, who were in agreement with Him. Now, you remember in the, the parable of the sower... Three out of four people that heard the word didn't believe it. They didn't, they, they didn't get anything from it. So you've got a very small percentage of people, and if you go back to the Old Testament, uh, Rick and I were talking about the Old Testament earlier, you go back to uh, Gideon in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8, uh, you will see that he only had 300 guys out of 32,000. He had less than 1% of the people that God delivered them from you don't need a lot of people. You just need agreement with the ones that you had. And of the, of the, of the 32,000 that answered his call, 22,000 of them were fearful. So they did not process because of fear. So keep this in mind. Jesus then went in. He said to them, Why make an uproar and weep? The girl is not dead, but sleeping. It said they laughed him in ridicule. Jesus, sometimes calling things that are not as though they are and speaking to things that are are what God said when the world says, you know, when this other 75% is coming along and they say, no, 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 none of that's going to happen. None of that's going to happen. Speaking what God said and calling things that are not as though they were takes a lot of courage. But if, you can, if you'll wither that storm, they laughed at him at ridicule. And said, When he put them all out, he took the father and mother of the girl and those who were with him and entered where the girl was lying, took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked off because she was 12 years old. Now, there's a pattern in here of believing the Lord for great things and doing things that don't, look, they, they don't make sense in the natural. None of what he happened here made sense in the natural. When he called the disciples, uh, they were the most irresponsible group I've ever been around. Here they come in from a day's work. They haven't even clocked out yet. and They're doing maintenance, and he comes and says, Follow me. They just drop everything. They don't clock out, they don't talk to the boss, they don't tell him we're quitting, they just leave. Same thing happens to Matthew. I mean, we can go on and on and on down the road. When Jesus gets involved, a lot of times he does not pay any attention to our protocol. If you don't believe me, ask Mary. Having a 14-year-old girl get pregnant, and then having try to explain that, he wasn't concerned about protocol. Now, as he was walking through all of these things, we see several things. We go back to what we talked about earlier. Let me review these things again. How you hear God's Word, receive and act on it, will determine your level of harvest. Jairus took that Word and he received it and he did not stumble. He stayed True to what it was that he said that he was going to happen, and he got his harvest. Number two, your results will be measured by the attention you give to what you hear. Well, he heard from the Lord. He heard what Jesus had done and seen what Jesus did, and he just stuck. He said, if if you'll come lay hands on my kid, she'll live. And that's exactly what happened. Number three. It's not the amount of word you receive, but it's the rhema. It's the revelation that goes with the word. Now, Iris had the revelation that if I just hang on, Jesus is going to save my girl. And He did. Now, number four, always read with the understanding it is God who is speaking to you with the intent of doing it. You can't expect to grow strong in faith if you're listening to doubt, unbelief, and fear most of the time. So when you read something from God, understand it that is God speaking to you and you have every intention of doing what it is that He said to do. Jairus knew that Jesus was accomplishing quite a few things and he took a great risk himself because this woman that came up with the issue of blood, don't think that they didn't know who she was. She'd been around there for 12 years And uh, she was unclean, and and she was touching people. She was reaching out, and Iris knew that. So he was taking a risk with his job in the process of doing it. Now, you can't expect to grow strong in faith if you're listening to doubt, unbelief, and fear most of the time. So within that framework, he did not listen to other people. He just kept his mouth shut. And Jesus took care of the other people, and he said he threw them all out, those that were against him. And um, the last thing to remember is that the word is a seed. And you plant seeds, and they grow. If you water them, fertilize them, they will grow. Amen? Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. To every generation, he gives the joy of his salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. As I watch the world around me, I can see his mighty hand. Delivering his people from the evil end. This land, the wounded and the broken, from the seed of it.